All right, now enough of that chit-chat. Let's um, get down to work. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Um, I'll read you a couple of verses and, and we'll comment on um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it to you. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. <clears throat> Guys, I'm not sure you've ever uh, paused over verse 13, but... Verse 13 contains one of the most revered tenets um, in all of Christendom, in all of the Christian faith. Uh, it's right there in verse 13. Um, it, is the, it is the tenet of substitution. Um, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The Greek is um, <clears throat> uh, a amen. Oh, here we go again. <clears throat> this phrase, huper amen, is one that is found all throughout the New Testament, and it is simply translated. Here we go again, Brent. Um, It's simply translated for us. There's the issue of the substitution in the for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy, you are you are, uh, well <clears throat> I know that doesn't mean anything to anybody, but <laughs> I mean now some people have double digits for IQs and others have triple digits, but <clears throat> this is a piece of great construction that is found in the New Testament. I found it 12 times, and it's always translated the same way, for us, for us. <clears throat> that is this most revered tenet of the Christian faith, the substitutionary, or substitution, the substitutionary sin-bearing Christ of, um, death of Jesus Christ. Gang, um, in this little, this little um, verse 13, there's a lot that is brought up by introducing this subject. When you think of the substitution, a lot of things go along with that. A lot of words arise as a result of thinking about substitution. For instance, 
the word vicarious. We're going to explain all these before it's all over. Another word is the word imputation. Did you see imputation in verse 13? It's there. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The substitution is in kind of the for us, but having become a curse, that's this imputation thing. Now guys, these are words that get bantered about in the Christian um, lexicon <clears throat> and people really don't know what they're all about. They're not, they're not that hard, but it's all there in verse 13. Let me, let me make four quick observations about verse 13. First of all, guys, everything in the Old Testament prepares you for verse 13. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a system where animals were offered as a substitute. The, the, um, the individual Jew was not sacrificed. No, he had a substitute. The substitute was the one that paid the price of the sin. Now, <clears throat> all of that was to point you towards the ultimate substitute that is described in verse 13. He became a curse for us, or he became our substitute. <clears throat> Everything in the Old Testament is pointing you towards this, this role that Jesus Christ is going to play for his people. He is going to be substituted for their, for their sin. Now, for that to happen, an imputation must take place. Um, that is, my sin must be imputed to Christ. Look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Having become a curse. How did Jesus become a curse? Well, Jesus um, had sin imputed to him. <clears throat> Guys, in Christianity, there are three imputations <clears throat> there is um, Adam's sin to me. <clears throat> there is my sin to Christ. And the third one is Christ's oh gosh, righteousness to me. That's all found woven into the fabric of verse 13. Look at it again, guys. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? How did Christ redeem us from the curse of the law? Well, first of all, having become a curse. Well, because my sin got imputed... 
to Christ. And thus he became sin. And he then bore the penalty of that sin as our substitute for us. Guys, um, can I show you this just in a couple of places? Uh, we, I mean, I, we, could, we could track this down for the rest of the night, but I just want to show you this whole idea. Find Romans 5 real quick. I'll read you just one verse. <clears throat> verse 8, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, here it is, Christ died for us. There's that same Greek construction. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let me show you one more. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> this is a somewhat famous one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. We'll just look at that one. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. There's that same Greek construction. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Ephesians 5, 2. Titus 2, 14. Hebrews 6, 20. 9, 24. 1 Peter 2, 21. 1 Peter 4, 1. 1 John 3, 16. Those are all places where this same idea, this same notion... The same Greek construction. The same idea of God provided a substitute. And everything in the Old Testament has been pointing us to this provision that he would make that is mentioned, tucked very innocently right here in Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Guys, um, this, um, this word vicarious, uh, that's another word that gets um, um, mentioned a, 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 quite a bit. It simply means taking the place of. My substitute took the place of me. He became a curse. For me, um, this this is a. Um, I, I heard one man say, I think it was John Stott who said that the essence of the atonement, that is the work of Jesus Christ for His people, can be summarized in one word, and that one word is substitution. And it's all wrapped up in two little a preposition and a pronoun. For us. He became the curse because my sin was imputed to him. And then he went and died for us. Um, gang, I don't, I mean, this might be a tad of an overstatement. But I don't think you can understand the gospel until you've understood these words. Particularly this one, imputation. I don't think you can understand the gospel. But it's there. He became a curse. How did he become a curse for heaven's sakes? Well, my sin. Mm. 
keep your seat. <clears throat> All I did was tap on this thing a couple of times. And, um, <laughs> you're the devil in disguise. <laughs> um, <clears throat> All of that idea of substitution, I'm telling you, is bound up in this, this, this one little out-of-the-way statement that Paul makes that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Um, if, you, if you haven't turned too far from that 2 Corinthians passage, go back to that one. The 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Because you've got you've to you've understand this as well. Um, Christ was not made a curse for himself. He was made a curse for us. Christ was personally innocent. Um, but sin was imputed to him. And um, um, if Christ bears my sin, then that means that I don't bear them. My substitute bears them vicariously for me. Now, one other thing, and, and we'll kind of try to move on. <clears throat> um, if that's true, if we believe that as Christians, that is that Christ bore, paid for, my sin as my substitute, then once you say you believe that, then what you're also saying is that you believe in the deity of Christ. Who can bear and pay for sin unless that one bearing is divine? So when, you, when we talk about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, to preach that is to indirectly preach the deity of Christ because only God could accomplish that. Only God could accomplish the, the bearing of and the paying of the sins of his people. Um, a lot of richness. Oh, and, and one other thing, and then I'll move on. Guys, this is why we say that um, when we're in the midst of trial, when we're in the midst of difficulty or pain, when we've had loss, when we're feeling really, really bad, and we begin to think, oh my goodness, God is punishing me for my sin. That's why we say we can't, that can't be true. What you're experiencing right now is not God punishing you for your sins. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. What, how, can you, how can you say that, Jimmy? Because of Galatians 2.13. Because Galatians 2.13 says that he became a curse for us. That is, the curse of my sin was on him. So what, I'm ex what God does with his people is that he doesn't punish them. Because if he punished them, that means he would have punished them twice. No, he would have punished their sin twice. Because Christ paid for it one time, and then he's punishing me again for it now. That's why we talk about, in the midst of difficulty, the Christian is not being punished. The Christian is being chastened, and you say, well, that's just a semantic difference in words, and I beg to differ. 
a punishment is, communicates far different things than this chastening. Punishment communicates something punitive, something, something angry. Chastening communicates that there's, that there's instruction, that there's, um, that there's learning that's taking place. Gang, the reason that you and I, as Christians, are not bearing punishment is because it's already been born. So as much as you'd like to believe that the reason that you're um, suffering what you're suffering now is because God is punishing you for your sins, nope. No, because your sins have already been punished. And now, the Father does chasten his own, just like we chasten our children. But God is not punishing. I want you to notice also um, that it does not say that Christ was was under a curse. It says that Christ became a curse. And um, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God did that. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It's not that he was under a curse. He was made into a curse. He became a curse. The Father made him a curse because he imputed the sins of his people onto his Son. And then his Son, as our substitute, went out and died vicariously for his people. Did you get that? <clears throat> Those words might, might be a little bit um, theologically thick. But they are theologically rich, ladies and gentlemen. What you have in verse 13 is a description of substitutionary atonement. <laughs> and that's the heartbeat of what we believe. We believe that God, because he loved, refuses to punish his people and thus provides a substitute as a as a punishment and payment for the people that he saves. That's quite a gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It's the gospel that the world simply does not get. It's a gospel that the world, the, the, the world is convinced that the gospel is something about behavior and performance and morality, and that is not the Christian message. The other day, uh, or yesterday, I was looking at a, a little YouTube about a situation here in Memphis about, oh, it's an ugly situation about some scam artists taking advantage of some people in, in, uh, in a very under-resourced area of our city. And they were interviewing this young woman, and this woman was saying, you mean preachers did that? Why? Why preachers? Those preachers are just, they're the ones that are supposed to be out there telling us how to live our lives. No, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what preaching is. Preaching first and foremost is a proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel is not telling you how to live. The gospel is telling you what Jesus Christ has accomplished in your place, vicariously, as your substitute, having had sin, your sin, imputed to him. 
Now you can, you can stumble over those words all you want. But what they're communicating, ladies and gentlemen, is vital. It's vital to the Christian message and it's vital to our souls. Do you understand that? For God so loved the world that he gave a substitute. And ladies and gentlemen, by faith, me and Jesus trade places. He gets my sin. I get his righteousness. <laughs> and somehow the world muddies that water somehow and talks about morality. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not trying to down morality. But I'm saying that's not our message. Our message is about what God has accomplished in Christ for sinners like us. And those three words summarize it. Substitution, vicarious, and imputation. I'll tell you this. If you do not understand those three words before you leave for tonight, come, come get me and let's go over it again. But i got to move on. Um, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been a curse, having become a curse for us. Look, these next words are in a parenthesis, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So let's read it without the parenthesis. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now guys, for a Jew to be writing to other Jews about Gentiles is a scandal in and of itself. But there's the word again in verse 14. Paul is tell, or is teaching, telling his audience that the Gentiles are going to get Abraham's blessing, which is justification by faith. Um, Gentiles, that would be us, are going to be brought into the kingdom on the same basis as our Jews. The same thing that saved Abraham is the same thing that saves me or you. We are justified on the same basis. We are the basis is the finished work of Christ. The vehicle, the instrument is faith. <clears throat> and then he adds this, which I want to close with. Um, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. <clears throat> Gang, um, this is the thing that he opened with in verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the, faith, or by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? <clears throat> He's continuing um, to answer his own question. And he says that Gentiles are going to get the same blessing that Abraham got. And they're going to receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Both, both the blessing of Abraham and the promise of, of the Spirit are going to come by faith. Guys, um, this promise of the Holy Spirit, um, let me mention that a couple of minutes and we'll, we'll quit. Um, one of the one of the oh, months ago, I said to you that there is one word that I believe best summarizes grace. 
And the word that I said, and this is maybe just personal to me, but the word that I said best summarizes grace is the word freedom. With, with, the, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I am set free from several things. The first thing that I'm set free from is the law. Gang, <clears throat> there's some in here that need to repent of your obediences. Because you're relying upon those obediences to reconcile you before God. The law is, in, is to be obeyed, yes. But it is never to be relied upon. Um, I am set free from relying upon my obediences to law to save me. I'm set free, ladies and gentlemen, from the demands and the tyranny of the law. I have been reconciled to God, not through law, but through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I've been set free from the law and its tyranny. I have been set free from sin and its dominion. Guys, I still sin and so do you, and we'll all agree on that. But in terms of sin dominating me or dominating us, those days should be over. Because we have the promise of the Spirit. I'm set free from the law. I'm set free from sin. I'm set free from death and its specter. I'm not saying that I don't die. But the, but the fear of what death is going to hold for me, I'm set free from that. The promise of the Holy Spirit sets me free from the law. It sets me free from sin. It sets me free from death. It sets me free from fear of judgment. <clears throat> I think I told you this story a whole long time ago. But um, a friend of mine who's a pastor is... Um, I was visiting a woman in his church. She was a dear saint who had been in the church all his life and her life, and she was at everything, and she, you know, she taught Sunday school and yada yada. All the, just added all up. And so he went to visit her in the hospital because she was um, she was dying. And so he was talking to her about the, the promises of God, and 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 she blurted this out. <clears throat> Oh, pastor, I just don't know if I've done enough. Ladies and gentlemen, I know about the rest of you. But I'm set free from that. I want you to know very clearly, very forthrightly, very candidly, I have not done enough. And I don't worry about it one second. Because my substitute did more than enough. Gang, 
if, if, um, if the specter of death kind of holds over you, this, this terror that you're going to stand before God and there's all of a sudden you're going to be exposed as having not done enough, then you do not understand the Christian message. I haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. Add us all up together and we haven't done enough. We're not saved because we did or didn't do enough. We're saved because Jesus Christ did everything necessary. As our substitute, he became a curse. Huper humane, huper amen, for us. He became a curse for us. The curse, ladies and gentlemen, that you so dread, particularly as you get older, Me and Jesus exchanged places. He got the curse. And I got his righteousness. Um, I'm also set free, ladies and gentlemen, from this, this endless pursuit of trying to create enough... Um, human performances that my conscience can finally be quieted. That is, all of this, this self-salvation effort that, I, that, I'm, that, I, that, that troubles me, particularly when things are bad or when I'm ill or as I age. So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly wondering, what, what's something else I can do? What's another little strategy that I might follow? What's another little gimmick that I, what, <clears throat> maybe I, maybe I need to be baptized again. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to uh, uh, get back in church. Maybe I need to um, um, start visiting at the hospitals and working for the sisters in pink or something. What, what other things do I need? I'm free from all that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm free for all those, from all those, those silly human strategies at trying to save myself. And you want to know why I'm free? Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hmm. Having become a curse for us. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon Gentiles in Christ Jesus. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Some rich stuff kind of tucked right in those two little verses. Let's quit. Our Father, I, I, I do pray that you will um, make those things very clear and very dear to all of us. That um, that the, the the unimaginable provisions of the gospel for people as undeserving as we might come to to be second nature to us. That we might come to appreciate and enjoy those provisions in a way that. 
that Satan can never again trouble us over the, over the specter of death, over the horror of judgment and condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And we're in Christ Jesus by sovereign grace. And so, Father, would you, um, would you enrich, would you feed, will you, would, you, would you quiet the troubled souls of your people, reminding us that Jesus Christ didn't become a curse for himself. He became a curse for us. What a blessed gospel, Father, and we praise you for it. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name.